before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. And we're getting a picture on the TV. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. title of my message today is Moon Missions and the Pleasure of Playing to Win. Pleasure of Playing to Win. I'm excited about this. You enjoyed this series? It's been fun. If you're new to church, I want to encourage you to jump online. Uh, it's all available on our YouTube channel. In fact, many other resources are available there too. Uh, a lot of leadership training is available through our YouTube channel as well. I know you'll be encouraged by it, but part one and two is up. And I just want to give a quick recap because we've kind of put this question out there. If human hands can, can put man on the moon, how much more so the power of God take you and I into spaces and places we've never dreamt of? That's really the, the thought of this series. It, it kind of caught me off guard because I just felt to preach a little bit around moon missions and stir faith in the house, and it became a series. And uh, it's fast becoming most people's favorite series of the year. And I'll tell you why. Because it's reminding us inside what we're actually always known we've been born for. It's, it's nothing new. It's just a reminder of what has always already been there. And I think the church needs to be reminded what we've been born for sometimes. And, uh, and so week one, we looked at uh, moon missions and churches that dare to change the world. Spoke around Ephesians 1.23. Uh, the world, as he sees it, is peripheral to the church. In other words, the periphery is an awareness, but it doesn't advance us. The church advances us. That's what God says to us. When we lock into what he loves, we advance forward. And so we spoke about an atmosphere of faith. Spoke about having the right people in your life to walk through rooms and doors or into rooms and doors where there are dead things that will come to life. We spoke about an atmosphere of faith. How many of you know we need good people around us in this time? I'm grateful for this church because week in and week out, there is an atmosphere of faith in this house. And for sure, if you walk in here feeling a little bit flat, there will be 99% of people that are ready to lift you up. That's an atmosphere of faith. I'm grateful for our worship team. You guys are amazing as they come and join us. They're just incredible. What an amazing group of people. Week two, we looked at stepping out of the safe zone, moon missions and stepping out of the safe zone, uh, because destiny was never born without danger. And uh, obviously every calling comes at great cost. And it's a powerful thought, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an honest reality of life in and, and that we dream of big things, but we aren't always willing to pay the price to, to get us there. And yet every great story has a price to it. And Jesus obviously paid the ultimate price that we could have the incredible privilege of being his people. And so week two, we looked at burning the plow. No plan B. No plan B. Tap your spouse, remind them there's no plan B. There's no plan B. All right, we're going to have to warm that up a little bit today, marriage. No plan B. We spoke about fixing your gaze. We spoke about join, joining the chorus. In that, you know, burning the plow is one thing. Fixing your gaze is another thing. But then joining the chorus, realizing that there is an anthem that is rising over the nation of, this, of, this, of South Africa. There is a song that's being sung. And in a sense, we can stand back and watch others sing it, or we can join the chorus. It's actually a beautiful uh, scripture in Romans 15, which says, We will be like a choir in chorus. 
not just in song, but in the way we live our lives. That's what it says. It's beautiful. Go and read it in Romans 15 in the message. And so week two, we looked at stepping out of the safe zone and joining the chorus, which is this hopeful, ready-for-anything church that is on the move. And I know you kind of woke up this morning stoked with a Springbok victory. Anyone excited about a Springbok? We didn't just win the game last night. We won the, the trophy for the first time in 10 years. That's pretty awesome. And uh, as we were reminded earlier on today, there is something about not the way they're playing, but the confidence with which they're playing. Like there's a spirit in the team that is just exciting. And I pray and I believe that it would stay with them as they go into the World Cup this year. But it's awesome. I also am excited that Manchester City has made it very clear that they're going to be on the top of the table for a long time this year. And every Man United supporter shed another tear. Amen. I want to give you a scenario quickly to set up today. Two sports teams, all right? If you're not into sport, just work with me. It'll bless you anyway. Two sports teams. Both teams are winning. Team A is winning by some margin. Team A is, let's say, 20 points in the lead. If it's footy, a couple of goals up, all right? And uh, they're having fun. I want you to imagine that. You're watching them. It's like the Springboks in their closing minutes against Argentina. It was just fun. It was just they were just having a great game. And, uh, and, and so the team's just enjoying themselves. They're throwing the ball long. Uh, they're using everyone that's on the field. There is an ease almost to which they play the game. Uh, as a spectator, it's highly enjoyable. We're watching them do what they were born to do. And, uh, and the game is exciting. And you almost don't want the game to be over. It's like, this is what we dreamt of. This is, this is exactly what they should be doing, right? And so you're just loving every minute of it. And so they're playing with margin. They're playing with freedom. They're playing with joy. And as a spectator, it's just nothing better. Now I want you to picture the other team. They're also winning, except only by a few. And this team has now gone into hold mode. They're doing everything they can to keep the ball from the opposition. All right? They're playing it safe. They're holding on. And the longer they hold on, the more scary it gets for you on the couch. In fact, if I'm honest, we start mildly freaking out. When it's down to like one minute, two minutes, there's like a couple of points in the game and they're holding on. Like, come on, you know, it's like just as I'm saying it, you're getting like hot, aren't you? Because you're feeling like, I hate those minutes. In fact, in those moments, you're wishing for the game to be over. You see, both teams, here's the story I want to tell you today. Both teams finish the game with a W on the board. But the one team that I described in the first scenario was playing with this spirit. They were playing to win. And the team in scenario B was playing not to lose. Both teams get a W on the board. But as a spectator and as a fan and as a follower and as a person in the crowd, Scenario A made you feel alive. Scenario B, you know, is that place you just don't want to go. You wish you never have to go. This is what happens when people play their lives not to lose. This is what happens when people kind of hold it all like in. It's like, right, don't let go of anything. Don't share anything you have. Don't, don't give away anything extra. Don't, don't do more than you need to in your life with God. Hold the ball. 
And then the other team are going, swing it wide. That wing has been born to put the ball down. Throw a new move. Create a new switch. Do something different, all right? Put a new player on the park. Let's give them a go while we're winning. There's something about that. It was kind of like uh, my matric year when I ran onto the game, field against Marinsburg College, all right? Northwood was playing not to lose. College were playing to win. It was just a bit of a different scenario. We got a hiding. It was humbling. But that's the difference. It's a different spirit. And, and I really think that when it comes to the church, most of us are playing not to lose. When it comes to our marriages, most of us are playing not to lose. Come on, you know this to be true. I'll say it easily. We're doing the bare minimum to keep the ring on our finger. And we think that if we lose the ring, we lose. But we don't because God is into second chances. God can restore what the devil has taken. And so those that are in marriage fighting for the very thing they don't want to lose sometimes looks far more terrible than someone that has lost everything, has moved forward and embraced the possibility of winning again. I want to preach a little bit today if it's a Kaling church because as people in society, our mindset is such that we are playing not to lose. We're giving God the bare minimum so that we can finish the game with a W on the board. God, are we good one day? Are we gonna, is it all right? God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my family as, as, as little as possible. I mean, I know you want to do more, but the truth is you're settling for less. <laughs> We're not playing to win. I mean, in marriage, I was saying to someone the other day, like, remember that first time? Oh man, I remember when I, I, was, uh, I was just starting to kind of really want to get my life going with Tess. Like it was, I, was, I, was, I wanted it. She was my sister's best friend, amen. And, uh, and I was coming home, I came home from Stellenbosch one weekend, and uh, it was my mate's 21st in Mschlunga. And so I went down and we celebrated his 21st. About half past 10, uh, I decided this is boring. I want to go and find my girl. Any, any young men remember those early days? It was like, honestly, everything else, secondary, let's find her. And, and so I walked up from the bottom of Mschlange, and I stood under the Mschlange Bridge on the old road, and I hitchhiked. It was about half past 10 at night. I had no idea whether it was safe or not. That didn't matter. I was going after her, all right? And so I stood there, and I hitchhiked. And I remember thinking, like, who's going to stop for me? And then one guy came down the road, like everyone else just shot past. And I saw him kind of slowing down, and I remember thinking to myself in that moment, this is high risk, but it's going to be high reward. He stopped the car, jumped in. He said, where are you going? I said, Belito, Salt Rock actually. He said, I'm going to Westbrook. I said, I need to go to Salt Rock. He said, you can come as far as Westbrook. I said, I'll take my chances. And so I got in the car and as we we're going, I was just motivating him. I think, to be honest, he was battling to stay on the white line, but I was just keen to get to Salt Rock. That didn't matter, all right? And as we we're going, I was motivating him. I was saying, so where are you from? What do you do? I was trying to like win him over so that he could go just a few extra Ks. I could see it was a big issue for him. And eventually he agreed to take me to Sharker's Rock, all right? And Sharker's Rock is about two and a half K is from where my home is, and he dropped me at Sharker's Rock. I climbed out the car, and I committed to walking home. Now I'm about just after 11, and I can't wait. I'm like, I'm going home. Tess is there. She's visiting. We're going to have a conversation. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to let her know that this is going somewhere. Anyway, I get home. Tess is fast asleep. My sister's fast asleep, but I've made it back from Durban. Amen. Like, remember those days when you would do anything, and now... I mean, I love her. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I be honest with some of the men in the room? You're not sure you even want to go home. Awkward laughter. Because you're playing not to lose. You're holding on to everything you've got with dear life, and it's exhausting. There's some business people sitting in the room today that are feeling the same way. 
You started out, you gave it everything you had. You're willing to sweep floors to get going, just to be in the company of big people. And so you climbed through the ranks, and so you had opportunities, and so your world opened up, and so maybe money started to flow, and you became risk-averse. The very thing that gave you an appetite to get going has now become the opposite of who you are, and you're arriving at work just playing not to lose. I just hope I get through another day. I'm the last to arrive. I'm the first to leave. I no longer love what I get to do. Friend, you're playing not to lose, and God wants to speak to you this morning around the pleasure of playing to win again. Amen. Listen to this, Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is or exists and that he is a rewarder. Say rewarder. Tap your neighbor and say, he's good like that. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, someone once reminded me, our worship earns a wage. There is something that heaven blesses when we give it to him with our breath. There is something about a life that is abandoned to the, the pleasure of God that is pleasing and God blesses it. There is something about it. And, and, and yet when I read this, I think we read it through the wrong lens and I wanna give you some context before I jump into what it means to play to win today. It says, without faith, it is impossible. Some wording says, we are weakest in our efforts without faith. So without faith, we are weakest in our efforts to please God, all right? The scripture is talking about, write this down, pleasure, not approval. There's a difference. Sometimes we read this scripture and we think to ourselves, yes, if I don't live with faith, if I don't like live this big, large life and give away all my money and attend church like 10 times in five weeks and you know, read the Bible back to front, if I don't live this like what I perceive to be a life of God won't approve of me. But it's not speaking about approval. It's speaking about pleasure. Remember, both teams in the story finished with a W on the board. But one gave the spectators great pleasure. Let me tell you, heaven gains great pleasure. You've already been approved of, by the way. With the ups, with the downs, with the mistakes, with the best moves, with the worst moves. It doesn't matter. The cross of Calvary was the great leveler. There is no one on the planet that is better than anyone else, not those that are going to sin, not those that have sinned. We're all leveled by the cross of Calvary. We have been approved of by heaven. Tap your neighbor and say, he's good with you. Tap your second choice on the other side and let them know too. He's good with you. God is good with you. He has already approved of you. What hangs in the balance is the pleasure as he watches you grow. There is a pleasure heaven gets to watching God's people live by faith. This is what it means to play to win. And I feel like God's been talking to me about it. I feel like God's been reminding me that there was a an abandon in my heart when I said yes to Jesus in those early days as a varsity student when I desperately needed God to come through for me and remind me that there was a future for my life. I'd grown up in a good home. I'd had some half-decent friends and I was qualifying in what many would call a good profession and I was desperate for destiny. I still needed more. And God came into my heart. And when he came into my heart, I gave him all of it. I gave him my wallet. I gave him my words. I gave him my friendship. I gave him my everything. I said, God, honestly, if nothing else comes my way, I still am grateful that I got you. Because the destiny is, the powerful part of destiny is that we get him, not what he offers. And then as I've grown in my faith, and as I've had the privilege of leading a church and 
raising a family, I kind of got to ask myself the question, if I've shifted from this abandoned heart, this because most people would say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It can feel like it's costing you everything. And yet there's a pleasure that heaven gains by watching it play. And I sometimes feel like as I'm growing up, and maybe I'm speaking to someone in the room, just one person, I'll be grateful, that as we grow in the things of God, as we move toward more of God, we become more cautious, not more courageous. And I want God to know, I want you to know today that God wants you to live a courageous life, not a cautious one. Faith is about pleasure. You know, winning approval is hard work, but playing for pleasure is a joy. If this whole thing came down to God approving of me, it'd be exhausting because I've let him down too many times. I've let him down in my marriage. I've let him down in my children. I've let him down in the church. Come back, don't worry. I'm okay. I'm imperfect, but I'm still good to go. But I've let him down so many times that if this thing came down to approval, I would have probably checked out by now. But the good news of the gospel is that God has already approved of me. I'm running onto the field with excess margin, and I have permission to play. And God wants to speak to you, church. He wants to give you permission to play. I was talking to a friend of mine, Alan Kelsey, who was out from Gateway recently, and I said to him, why is it that we default to cautious, not courageous? He said, it's simple. It's Newton's law. Scientists in the room will know this. Anybody left to itself, will settle to its lowest common form. This is true of nature. This is true of science. It's true of you and I. If we are left to ourselves, we will settle. Whether we dream of big things or not, if we are left to ourselves, if no one ever reminds us what we're born for, if the gospel of grace never calls us to more, if the church doesn't rally us to believe in bigger things, we will settle to our lowest common form of self. And that's called playing not to lose. But the Bible calls us to higher ground, which is to play to win. I was thinking about another way of describing this pleasure that heaven gets, and I was thinking about when parents send their children out for a day of activity. Let's say it's a Saturday morning. Can I talk to some parents in the room for just a moment? It's Saturday morning. Uh, you've got two kids. They're both playing sports, and all you want is for them to give it their best. Isn't that the truth? I mean, you tell them, like, it's not whether you win or lose out there, and of course you want to win, but we, if we're really honest, we genuinely want them to give their best. We want them to give everything to the game. We want them to give everything to their team, to their, to their coaches. We want them to get home spent because there's something about watching children not just win, but give everything. And so what happens is both children go off to the sporting game and one kid gives everything, like everything. Like they are diving around. They are like high-fiving teammates. They are like shaking coach's hand. They were like up for anything. I mean, who cares what the score said? They had their biggest day out. Other kid arrived, like dragging their heels, like didn't even want to be there, like ran onto the park, more naturally talented, but just gave less effort. And when the game is over and you get in your car, what do you do? You go off to the market at Lifestyle and you buy them both a pizza and an ice cream. If it's not an ice cream, it's a chocolate brownie full in the blank. But come on, parents, be honest with me. One of those giveaways felt far more pleasurable than the other one. I mean, you didn't tell the kid, hey, you were lazy out there today. But when you gave the ice cream, everything inside of you was like, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) 
and I know you're judging me. And you're like, this guy is just still figuring out parenting. Yes, I am. But I'm telling you, I feel like God is like people have been called for great things. And all he's saying to us is, get out there and give it your best. Give me everything you've got. Give me everything you own. Give me everything you desire. Hand it over to me. Release control. Faith is transferring trust. Give it all over to me and pleasure will come your way. And some of us are getting out there and we're dragging our feet. Like I'm just, I just, I'm just, I'm going to church because somebody told me I had to do it. Don't do it because someone said it. Do it because God is pleased with you being front and center. Don't give because somebody told you to be a good Christian, you have to give. No, sir, no good Christians give. Faithful believers give. When you give, give with freedom. I'm just going to preach a little bit today because I believe the church has been called to play to win. And too many of us are hanging back there playing not to lose. And it's, it's cool. We end with a W, but it's boring for heaven to watch. And God wants to get pleasure out of watching you play with a spirit of freedom and a spirit of joy. And even when it doesn't make sense, God, I give you what I have. Now, apparently in the Bible, there was a character who many scholars would say played to win. His name is King Josiah. And as much as I want to encourage you in your business to play to win, and you should. As much as I want to encourage you in your marriage to play to win, and you should. And in your families to play to win, and you should. I want to show you how when we choose the win of the church, we start to win everywhere. I want to show you how if we, if we let go of the greatest win, which is God's people, we start to lose all over. When we become about only our family winning or only our business winning or maybe just a friend down the road winning and when we lose the heart of random people, get this, coming together week in and week out in an atmosphere of faith, charged in the spirit, called to win. When we lose the spirit of this thing winning, we start to lose it all elsewhere. And apparently there was a king by the name of King Josiah. I'm going to speak about him for just a little bit today. And King Josiah... Theologians, scholars, study, studies of the Bible would say that he changed his tactics and started, get this, playing to win. You want to know what he had to say? You want to know what he had to do? You see, King Josiah was part of a lineage of kings. All had risen and fallen and risen and fallen. And many would say he was the last great before King Jesus himself. Josiah did something differently. Josiah put his people on the front foot. Four things he did. I want to encourage you with them today because I believe if we would choose this spirit, we would see great outcomes. Not just in our families or businesses, but in this nation, in Jesus' name, amen. There are four things Josiah did. Write this down. This is the first thing. The first thing Josiah did as he learned to play to win is he restored the house. People who have a spirit that plays to win have a heart to build God's house. 2 Kings 22 says it like this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. That should shock you. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, his daughter, a daughter of Adahar. She was from Bozkath. This is like Marvel series 4.1, all right? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely in the ways of his father David. This is where scholars say he chose to play to win, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. And he said... 
Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which doorkeepers have collected from people. Have them entrusted to men appointed to supervise work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, builders, and masons. Also have them purchase timber and dressed stone to repair the temple. This is the heart of someone in the church context that plays to win. What I love about our church is we've always been about building beautiful environments. We've always been about stretching ourselves to create spaces where people encounter God. I remember when we moved from the lychee orchard to this environment, it was a stretch. It wasn't straightforward. It cost a lot of money. It meant people laying down agendas. It meant some others selling cars. But we put ourselves out there because faith is pleasing to heaven. And the pleasing part was not us putting ourselves out there. It was when we watched you come in here. It was when we watched people responding to our activity in faith. The heart of it was simply this, to restore the house, to make a place where people encounter God. And every time we create a new environment, our heart is the same. We want to create a space where people are encouraged and equipped to pursue the things of God in their lives. It's not about the building. It's not about the lights. It's not about the sound. It's about people's hearts being regenerated and restored and repaired in the things of God. By the way, the Old Testament is a picture of a New Testament fulfillment. So in the Old Testament, what Josiah is doing is what Jesus did. What Josiah did in the physical, Jesus did in the spiritual. Josiah is repairing the house or the temple or the place where God meets with his people. Jesus brought back our hearts, which is where he now resides. You see, Josiah put a value on fighting for that which housed God's presence. Jesus put his life down to bar back our hearts, which house his presence. There is a value in this church that is and will always be assigned to building people up, raising people up, encouraging them in the presence of God, whether it's in a room, whether it's in the field, whether it's in the, it doesn't matter where it is, we will assign value, we will put money, we will put everything we have to building people up in Jesus' name. Amen. There is something about a team that plays to win. You see, because I think churches sometimes, if we're honest, they default to their lowest common form. And, and they settle for mediocre. I remember uh, when I was young growing up, uh, I was asked by my parents or dad specifically to sweep around the pool. We had guests coming. Most weekends we would have guests come to our house. And uh, dad, you remember this, maybe not so much. It was bigger for me than it was for you because it was just another day for him, but it was a defining day for me. And he asked me to sweep the pool. And so I was sweeping the pool and we got like bricks around the pool and the leaves are getting caught in the grooves and I'm 14 years old. And I'm kind of getting a little bit over sweeping the pool. I'm feeling like it's a wasted effort for some random guests. You know, I'm 14, I got my own agenda. And so I'm sweeping. Eventually, I'm like, hey, Dad, like, this is lame. Like, let's be honest, Dad, the guests can't even see the leaves on the other side of the pool, right? Like, they can't even see the leaves, Dad. They don't even know I'm doing this. Like, what's the big deal? Like, no one even cares. Like, can't we rather do something else? And I'll never forget, like, coming to him with the broom, like, thinking that I'd, like, won my case, looking at him saying, Dad, can we just wrap it up here? And he looked at me, gave me a big smile. He said, this, my boy, is my house. And then he said, and one day you'll have your own house, and then you can make your own rules. But my rules are we sweep for the guests and we make it glorious. So pick the broom up and go and sweep again. I picked the broom up and I went back. And I remember that, Dad. He remembers that moment. And I remember that day thinking, like, I don't know if I lost that day or won. But in the spirit, I won. <laughs> because now I got my own house. 
And when we have guests, I ask my girls to get their rooms ready and sweep the garden and do everything else they should do. And when they look at me and say, Dad, what's the point? I smile. I say, one day you're going to have your own house. But this is my house. Now listen, you may have your own homes, but this is God's home. You may have your own preferences, but this is God's preference. And in the house of God, we give Him everything we have with excellence and expectation, and we spend ourselves to prepare it. Listen, for people that will walk through these doors for the first time. Our volunteers went as far as they could today to give you a smile as soon as they can. Some were standing on the gate today to let you know we're glad to have you here. Some were standing at our kids' church. Some were serving coffee. Our teams have been practicing this week. I want you to know our worship team, they don't just rock up on a Sunday and strum up a few chords and hope it goes well. They're here on a Thursday night. They're digging. They're finding each other. They're looking for the rhythm. They're looking for the melody. They're asking God for the anthem that's going to change just one person's life. Friends, we give everything in this house. You may have your own preferences. You may have your own house. But here in Link Church, we believe in restoring, building, making better the house of God. We're not playing not to lose. We're playing to win. The translation of those words restore the house, I love these, is to fortify courageously. We are fortifying, courageously fortifying at great expense with extreme effort and energy. We're given our time, our talents, and our treasure to fortify this house so that we can win back the heart of humanity. I've learned that when I'm passionate about his house, he seems to bless mine. I've learned that when I give my best to God, he just seems to give his best to me. And I've got to say to some people today, God wants you to get a heart to make this place beautiful. Maybe it is volunteering. Maybe it isn't being generous beyond where you've been before. Maybe it isn't bringing a friend on the journey. There are many ways to fortify courageously what God has entrusted to us. But I feel like God wants to say to you, it's time to get on the front foot and start playing to win in this house so that we can win back humanity. The second thing King Josiah does is he makes the word central, the centrality of the word. Listen to this. 2 Kings chapter 23, it says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. This beautiful thing called the word of God is not reserved for a select few. It has application and blessing for every single one of us from the least to the greatest. My greatest passion is to help this thing be heard on the city streets. These walls is a privilege, but my passion is to help this thing be heard on the city streets with cashiers, with those that serve in society, which we would consider the least. He says, from the least to the greatest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book on covenants which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and he renewed the covenant in the presence of God to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and soul. Playing to win is giving all our heart and soul to his words, not ours. All our heart and soul. All our heart and soul. I, I find myself reasoning too much with myself and listening too much to others. And I want to give all my heart to him. 
I found myself reasoning too much with my own thought process, my own ideas. Dill, you're not going to make it. Dill, you're not a great leader. They don't like you anyway. You're not a great husband. These kids, I mean, you've done it all right, but they're girls. They don't understand you. You're a guy. Like reasoning with my own thoughts and listening to the opinion of others. The church should be done like this. Your business should be built like that. You should parent like this. You know, one of my good friends said, the problem with all the parenting books is none of them were written for my children. In other words, it's someone's opinion. All right? And I find like God wants to cause us to play to win again because we're just playing not to lose. I'm just going to hope that this bit of advice over here works because, gosh, life is tough, you know. I'm just going to trust that, that. I'm not saying there won't be wise counsel. I'm not saying don't walk life out with good friends. But, friends, King Josiah, he flipped the switch on playing not to lose, and he started playing to win. And one of the first things he did was restore the house, and then he did this. He put the centrality of the word back in people's hearts, and he said, we will no longer come up with our own thoughts. We will listen to this. We will take this as the final thought, final authority. I was thinking about it today, and I want to give you an example. This is kind of what God wants to do. Don't be scared. No one's going to get highlighted. But I just want to, I just want to show you what God wants to do in church. Can I come sit by you guys? Thanks, man. Good to, good to be here. It's awesome to be here. All right, guys. The rest of you guys, just relax for just a moment. Anyway, good to be here with you guys. Great to you guys enjoy that? Was it amazing? Encouraged by what I had to say to them? Fantastic. No, you aren't because you didn't hear a single thing. And that's the problem. You're so interested in what God's saying to everyone else. You can't be sure of what he's saying to you. You're listening to the opinion of society and you're listening to the opinion of man and you're listening to mom and dad's poor attempts. Hey, listen, we're broken people trying to do big things. We need encounters with the king of heaven. And when you come to church on a weekend, I'll do my best to preach God's word. I will. I'll prepare and I'll pray and I'll do my best to preach God's word, but only he can meet with you. And my words won't carry you. His word will. And I'll say many things today, but you may only hear a few. And honestly, just enough. You'll hear just enough, just enough to see you through this season. God's word. It's interesting when Jesus was set apart for ministry, and I mean every word I said to you guys. That wasn't by accident. Jesus was set apart for ministry and says, a spirit came upon him like a dove, and a voice from heaven spoke, saying, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus gets up, and he wreaks havoc on the, on the darkness. So that's the way I see it. Avengers, Endgame, got nothing on Jesus' Endgame, right? But it started by a voice from heaven speaking. Friends, there is no one on this planet that can activate the call of God in your life, but the Spirit of God in your heart. And all I'm saying is, when He speaks, listen. When He speaks, it speaks. He speaks silently. There's a whisper often. It doesn't always make perfect sense, but lean into it. Put it back in the middle, and I'm telling you, you will start playing to win. Amen? I've got 12 faith confessions I read out 
Most mornings, they're stuck in the middle of my, on the inside of my cupboard. You may have them too. But every morning starts and I realize Facebook's going to tell me something. Friends are going to tell me something. My children are going to tell me something. So I'm going to let God speak before my day gets going. And, and I just literally read them. It's not, it's not like anything fancy. And these are them. Like how good would this be if your day started like this? I am fully forgiven and free from all shame and condemnation. I act in audacious faith to change the world in my generation. I have no fear or anxiety. I trust the Lord with all my heart. I'm able to fulfill the calling God has placed on my life. I am fully resourced to do everything God has called me to do. I have no insecurity because I see myself the way God sees me. I'm a faithful spouse. I'm a godly parent and our family is blessed. I'm completely whole physically, mentally, and emotionally. I'm increasing in influence and favor in the kingdom of God. I am enabled to walk in the sacrificial love of Christ. I have the wisdom of the Lord concerning every decision I make, and I'm protected from all harm and evil in Jesus' name. Twelve faith confessions before anyone has a say, I let God speak. I'm just asking the question, have you put His Word at the center of your world? Because when you do, playing not to lose starts to fade, and you start to play to win. You start to get a confidence you never had. You start to swing the ball wide. You start to try new things. You start to realize that the provision of God is not around you. It's inside you. You just got to get a hold of it again. And I think the church needs to be reminded to put the word at the center. I'm having fun here, guys. So we're going to sing loud just now, but I'm just letting you know it might be dangerous. The next thing King Josiah does, and I'm going to be very quick on this one, is he tears down idols. It's amazing. An idol is anything that replaces the power of God in your life. In Luke 18 and 19, there's two stories. Both involve giving money away. Luke 18, rich young man says to Jesus, what should I do? He says, sell everything. The guy's like, uh-uh, I corner Baba. Luke 19 says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Doesn't ask him for anything. Zacchaeus stands up and says, I'm giving you everything. Why? What's the point of the story? See, most of us look at the story of the rich young man and go, God, that's maybe just asking a little bit too much. Yeah, let me ask you a question. How much is too much? Let me answer it for you until it replaces trust. You see, an idol is anything that stands as a safety net or something we trust other than God. I want to be a church that tears down idols. Anything that holds greater value to you than God is an idol. Which is why in Mark 8, Jesus stands in Caesarea Philippi. I've been there. It's quite a profound thought. There's a beautiful river that flows from a temple. And in the temple, there are statues of Caesar and the goat god of Pan. And all these idols that people back then believed were responsible for the life-giving water that flowed from the mountain. In other words, they thought that was, that's what produced the provision. And Jesus stands there, and I, I went and stood there, and I thought it must have been a cool moment. And he stands right in front of the very things they think provide, and he says, all right, guys, who do people say I am? And they're like, some say this. He says, well, who do you say I am? Because there was a moment in time when people had to realize he stands far above my finances, he stands far above my family, he stands far above my, my kind of status in society. Some of that stuff got to come down for the blessing of heaven fall in your family for some your business is an idol for some your hobbies are idols your finances are idols or perhaps your lack of what do you mean Dil? well if you're always talking about what you don't have it's an idol because it's all you're looking at your friendships your family 
Sometimes your children are an idol. I can't let go. Well, you better if you want to get God going. I can't let go. It's just too precious. I don't think they're going to make it. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, you better if you want to see heaven come down. Josiah tears down the idols. Listen to what he does. It's quite a cool, cool thought. He says, he burns them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley, and he takes the ashes to Bethel, which means the house of the Lord. And so he brings the thing that used to bring pleasure and provision, and he pulls it down, and he submits it to the house of God. He says, it will no longer take the place of what you're doing in my life. Some of you got to put your children before God. You got to put your finances before God. You got to put your businesses before God. You got to put your health before God. I feel like I'm encouraging someone today. The last thing King Josiah does is he repurposes worship. 2 Kings 23, if you write nothing else down, write this down. He restores the temple. Amen. Brings back the centrality of the word. He's playing to win. This king is done playing not to lose. He wants margin. He wants some victory. He's restoring the temple. He's got the centrality of the word. He's tearing down idols, and he's repurposing worship. I want to encourage you, friends, if you want to see margins start to come into your life, if you want to see God start to open up the capacity to dream again and to plan again and to build again and to lead again, I believe you have to repurpose worship. 2 Kings 23, the king gave this order to all the people. He's on a roll now. I can just imagine Josiah. He's got this thing going on. The temple's looking beautiful. The word's back in the middle. The idols have come down, so worship is kind of set, and he says he gets gives us order to the people, celebrate the Passover. Celebrate the Passover. Not make mention of Jesus. The Passover is a picture of Jesus, by the way. It's the victory he won for us. So whenever you hear that word Passover, just know it's celebrating the victory he won for us. And he says, I want you to celebrate the Passover. I want you to make a big deal about it. As it is written in the book of the covenant, neither in the days of judges who led Israel, nor in the days of kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, any such Passover has been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. You see, here's what happens. When we come to God with a playing not to lose mindset, can I say it like this? When we come to God with a religious mindset, you see, religion does the bare minimum to get God's attention. But relationship puts it all on the line. And that brings God pleasure. And it says that this Passover hadn't been celebrated for years in the days of the kings and the judges. You see, law restricts worship. Religion holds back worship. Religion says, keep quiet, sing softly, don't turn it up. Those people are listening. Don't be, listen, friends, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. When the Springboks won, when the Springboks win, when my teams win, when my children's teams win, I'm that guy on the side of, yeah. I'm going for it. I'm like high-fiving people I've never met before, including, including the losing parents, because when we see victories, we get excited. Why in the church, when the Passover is celebrated, do we not actually bring celebration? Why when we sing songs like praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, after having just sung of the victory that was won for us at Calvary, is it just like, ah, oh, it's pretty cool. The church got some nice songs. Why don't you turn it down a little bit over there? It's a little bit noisy for me. No, sir, that's religion. And I'm, I'm just respecting you for just a moment here. Uh, if it's if it's your ears, for sure, we'll do what we can to help you. But if it's because your heart wants to hold back the thing that God has asked you to shout out, we're going to change that because victory is in the camp of the righteous. Amen. <laughs> Come on, stand with me, church. I want to pray for you. We're going to sing this song again. And when we do, just warn your neighbor for the next five minutes, you are not responsible for anything that takes place.